thank you, Father, that we can be together this morning, that we can sing, that we can hear your voice as you speak to us now through your word. Please would you do that so that we might know you better, see what it means to live for Jesus in our lives now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is wonderful to be able to sing again, uh, even behind our face coverings. And as we uh, begin this, this series in, in Psalm 96 to 101, um, let's think, why do Christians sing? What is that about? We probably instinctively could give answers to, those, to that question, all kinds of answers. But, but let me um, begin as we look at this Psalm 96, the, the, first, which, the first word of which, we, as we heard, is sing. Uh, let me begin by giving us a, sh- a kind of shot across the bows with two verses from the Bible that set singing in perspective. Because when we think of singing, you know, it's easy just to think of it as a kind of human activity that we do from time to time. It's a bit random, but mostly it's fun. And, uh, we, we, you know, we might think about the fact, oh, we haven't been able to sing for, for these 18 months or whatever it's been uh, in and out of church. And, you know, all the kind of frustrations that go with that. But here are two verses uh, that show that this is about something bigger than covid about it's bigger than guidelines and restrictions. It's bigger even than what we do in church. Let me show you why. Here, first of all, Zephaniah, chapter 3, verse 17. I'm sure you know Zephaniah very well. Well, Zephaniah, chapter 3, verse 17, this is a section where Zephaniah the prophet is describing God's salvation. And he's saying, he's saying what is going to happen when God saves his people? And look at what he says at the end there. He says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. So immediately our our perspective has changed because singing is not just something that human beings do, you know, when we feel like it. This is something that God does. God sings, and it's part of the way that he rejoices over his people as he saves them. Now, God is not a human being, and the way that he sings is, is different from the, you know, the, what that must mean is different from what we mean in one sense, because we have mouths and bodies and, uh, and, and breath and everything else. But God wants us to know, as he shows us what he's like and who he is, that he's a singer and so when we sing we are being like him okay that's the first thing and then the second thing from job chapter 38 job chapter 38 and now this is this, god is talking to job and he's he's describing the creation of the world and he's basically saying job as job has sort of set out all his complaints if you know the book of job and, and you get to the end and god says to job were you there when i created the world were you there Because let me tell you what happened at the creation of the world. And that's what he says in these verses from verse 4. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? This is the bit. While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. So again, what does that mean? Well, it's poetry, 
isn't it? And we know, you know, stars, we, we, you know, we know that they're balls of gas and they don't sing like we sing. But at the same time, what is this saying? It's saying that at the right at the start, before there are any human beings, as God made the world, there was music. And so whatever we do in terms of music and singing is just a reflection of what has always been there that's sort of built into creation and is an expression of the joy that God had over his creation and that creation itself, in a sense, rejoices in uh, what God has done. And so now we come to Psalm 96 and we hear him say to his people, first word, sing. Sing. And, and we realise, okay, this isn't just about, you know, get your guitar out, get the piano going, you know, whatever instrument you want, you know, start humming along, sing. This is about joining in something big, really, really big, really, really fundamental, something divine, something that is woven into creation itself. As we join in doing what God does, as we join in doing what has always been going on. Do you see? So the book of Psalms is the Bible's songbook. It gives us words about God to sing back to God. It's about worship, and that includes what we sing and the words that we say, but that then overflows into the whole of our lives. It's not just about what you do on a Sunday, as it were. This little section of the Psalms that we're in now is uh, where we got to at the end of last summer. Last summer we did Psalms 90 to 95. Now we're just doing the next little bit. And, and we like to do Psalms in the summer because you can kind of dip in and out of them a bit. But actually, the, it, Psalms 93 to 99 hang together. And they are songs about how God is king of all the earth. God is the king of all the earth. And they, these are songs that, that talk about that and proclaim that and sing about that in different ways. That is the broad theme of what we can see going on here. But here in Psalm 96, which is actually the, the fourth in, in those seven psalms, so it's at the heart of those seven psalms, here is this command that as we hear all about how God is king, and we're going to continue hearing about that, sing in response to that. You can see if you look down that, the, that there's this command, verses 1 to 3, sing, sing, declare his glory, verses 1 to 3. Then there's a reason, verses 4 to 6, and he gives a number of reasons. So commands, one to three, reasons, four to six. He's great, he's most worthy of praise, he's the king. That's the theme of these psalms. He's the king, that's the reason you should sing. And then verses seven to 12, commands again. Saying in different ways, sing, ascribe, he says, which means just talk about, say that God is great in various ways. So command, and then reason again, verse 13, he comes to judge the earth. Okay, so that just gives us the broad structure so we understand what's going on in the psalm. Command, reason, commands, reason, in order to hear what it's saying. But looking at it overall as a psalm, we can see it tells us what we are to sing, why we are to sing, and who are the ones who are called to sing. So that's what we're going to look at. Okay, we've got what, we've got why, and we've got who. So let's see each of those in turn. First of all, what are we to sing? Well, a new song. Can you see that in verse 1? Sing to the Lord a new song. And that's a phrase that pops up a lot in the Bible, that new song 
phrase. We heard it in the second reading from the book of Revelation. Did you hear it? Do you miss it? The angels who are called elders before the throne and they sing lots of songs, but then they sing a new song, we're told. And if you trace that through the Bible and you see where it comes up in the Psalms particularly as well, what is a new song? When do do God's people sing a new song? Well, they sing a new song when God has done something new. When he's delivered them in a new way. Some new act of salvation. Something has happened, so the old songs don't quite cut it anymore. We need a new song. Now, the other day, I was walking up the high street in uh, Hampstead, and it was, the, it was the day after England had beaten Denmark. Okay, Now, uh, this feels like ages ago, doesn't it? But I think if, you, if you're interested in this kind of thing, you may know England beat Denmark in the semi-final okay, of the, World, uh, the, the European Cup at Wembley. And the country was going mad, and we really thought, okay, this is it. Football is coming home. You know, finally, it's going to happen. And everyone was really positive. And as I was walking up the high street, believe it or not, I saw Frank Skinner. Okay, if you don't know who Frank Skinner is, he's one half of Skinner and Badil. They wrote and performed the song, Football's Coming Home. Okay, and uh, it was written in 1996, along with the now largely forgotten Lightning Seeds, who are the sort of forgotten people who ought to be credited with that song. But it's kind of Skinner and Badil are the two people, David Badil, Frank Skinner. There he was, Frank Skinner, on Hampstead High Street, day after England had beaten Denmark. So I was thinking, this is too good an opportunity to miss. So I went up to him, and I said to him, Frank, you're going to have to write a new song. And good old Frank, with a big smile, came straight back to me, and he said... We're doing it already. We're writing a new song. It's going to be called Football's Coming Home, brackets, again. <laughs> it's true. And I was very gratified to hear him repeat this on television, the, you know, the next or well, a couple of days later, uh, just before the final. Now, of course, uh, I'm not sure we're going to need a new song, as it turns out. But do you see the point? This is what you do. When something new happens, you suddenly realise, actually... What do you do when football, ha- you know, if and when football finally does come home in that sense, and we actually win something, what are you going to do? You're going to need a new song, aren't you? You can't just sing the old ones. And that is what's going on here in, 90, in, in Psalm 96, do you see? The story of the Bible is an unfolding story of God doing new acts of deliverance in fulfilment of his promises on behalf of his people to save the world. And that comes to its climax as the, as the, at the cross, as Jesus dies and he rises to save his people. And at each of the point, as this story unfolds and key things happen, new songs have to be written. And that's where we get, in the end, to Revelation chapter 5, the second reading. And that new song around the throne, what is the song that they're singing? They're singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. They're rejoicing in this act of deliverance at the cross. Now, Psalm 96 is kind of from the land of the shadows before Jesus came. But the theme is the same. Sing a new song. Verse 2, do you see? Sing sing about his salvation. Now, this psalm is quoted almost word for word in, in 1 Chronicles 16, which, again, I'm sure you're really familiar with. 1 Chronicles 16, as the ark is returned to Jerusalem. And uh, there's great rejoicing at what God has done. 
See, and, and so they sing a new song. So thinking, you know, something, something amazing's happened here. We need to sing about it. So they proclaim his marvelous deeds. Okay, so do you see what's going on? It's a new song about what God has done. But then it's also not just about what God has done. It's also about who he is. So verse 3, he is the king of glory. Declare his glory among the nations. Verse 7, the one to whom should be ascribed glory and strength. Which in simple terms just means sing about how full of glory God is and how strong he is. You know, glory is what we ascribe to something when we're saying how amazing and awe-inspiring something is. It's said, I haven't done this, I'd love to do it, but it's said if you go to the Grand Canyon, and I'm sure some people here have done this, and uh, not just fly over it in a plane, which I gather is not quite as good, but if you actually go up to the edge of the Grand Canyon and look down... It just, you can't help it. It is utterly awe-inspiring and it takes your breath away as you look. It's not something you have a choice about. It has that effect on you. You just go, wow, that is amazing. It is glorious. And God says, ascribe glory to God. Turn that feeling into song about him. Now, there's a sense in which human beings don't have to be told to do that because we naturally sing about what inspires us and makes us excited. Well, how much more should we do that? How much more can we do that with God himself? See, music has a way of cementing truths into our hearts. See, it helps us not just to know the truth about God, but to feel the truth about God. Because, you know, I can stand here and I can say the words... You know, God is glorious. God is amazing. God is the creator of the universe. You think, yep, true statements. Thanks very much for those true factual statements. But music enables me to say and then to feel the truth of that in my heart. To rejoice not just in my mind, not just with my lips, but in my heart. So sing. Sing a new song. For for us, that means singing songs that tell of God's salvation, tell of what Jesus has done, tell of how great God is. Those are the songs that we want to sing. So that's the first thing. Sing a new song. And then, secondly, we see why then. Why do we need to sing like this? Well, because of a great God. A great God. If it's true that human beings in one sense don't need to be told to sing in response to something wonderful, well, maybe the reason then that we're never less commanded to sing is that we don't always feel like singing. Or at least we don't always feel like singing about God. You know, and that's because our hearts can be captured by other things. Our hearts can be captured by other fears. But as we obey the command and we sing anyway... Our hearts are recaptured. And that's why it matters that these truths about God that we, we believe, and, and truth matters, and it's really important to, to be clear about who God is and what Jesus has done. But that's why it can't just remain in the realm of kind of things that we kind of intellectually assent to. It needs to capture our hearts because. Our hearts are what determine then what we do. Our hearts drive our will. 
And so what we desire and what we live for and what we think, no, that is what my life is really about, that all comes out of our hearts. And so here, what is he saying? He's saying, look, put on the one hand how great God is and put on the other hand all those other things that you are tempted to worship and live for, the idols, verse uh, 5. See them for what they are. Realize how great God is in, uh, in contrast with these things. You know, when we're tempted by sin and to live for and worship things that aren't God, it's because our view of God is too small. The reason we sing, then, is that we have a God worth worshipping. I was hearing recently about someone visiting some Christians in Pakistan, and he saw how uh, joyful these Christians were in their singing. And these are Christians who'd come to faith um, from a non-Christian background, from a Muslim background in in that country, and they had relatively little, materially speaking. And and, and if you become a Christian in Pakistan, um, it it makes you an outcast. You know, it makes you kind of tolerated, but not accepted, discriminated against in lots of ways. So it's hard, it's hard life in many ways. And this guy said to them, it's amazing to hear these Pakistani brothers and sisters sing like this. I can't believe their joy as they sing together. You know, is, it, is this a cultural thing, maybe? Is this just a sort of South Asian thing that people do? You know, do Pakistani Muslims sing like this as well? And they said, no. Straight away, no. No, see, the Muslims haven't got anything to sing about. And you can see the point, can't you? In order to sing... You have to have something or someone worth singing about that brings joy to your heart. And there is so much that we can't sing about, isn't there, in our world today? Not just in the the, the gods of other religions who are are more about rules than about grace and love, but actually, you know, think of our culture generally. There's so much, particularly at the moment, if we're honest and we look around, there's so much that's basically miserable, isn't there? You know, whether it's COVID and restrictions and rules and guidelines and, and all that we have to endure in response to that, whether it's, whether it's culture wars going on on social media and everywhere else and this sort of solemn tearing down of anybody who disagrees with you, there's nothing to sing about. In fact, where do people sing these days? You know, looking around our world generally. Well, in, the, in this country, at least, you know, we've already talked about it, haven't we? People sing at football matches. They don't really sing anywhere else. And actually, there's an, you know, there's an entire <clears throat> folk song culture that's grown up around 22 people chasing a bag of air around some grass. And then people might sing a little bit in nightclubs, as we've been hearing about on the news, haven't we? But, there, there, you know, there is some singing, but there's no real message there, is there? There's no content. There's nothing real and ultimately eternal and of ultimate significance to cling on to. You know, I know that the quote, you know, football's not a matter of life and death. It's far more important than that. I know, you know, but really? For eternity? Really? You're going you're to say that and live for that and, and let that drive your life? Look at verse 5. The gods of the nations 
our idols. And whether you sing about them or not, it is the Lord who made the heavens. Christians, we have something. We have someone to sing about. And verse 10 and verse 13, he then goes on, he's coming to judge the world that he made. And he's saying, sing about that. Now, we might think, hang on a minute, is that that something to sing about? Is that good news, judgment? You know, very often we think it isn't good news, and we play it down, and we say, you know, let's not overemphasize that. But the psalmist says, sing it from the rooftops. God is coming to judge the world. That is good news. And actually, think about it. Whether we're thinking of Christians being persecuted or rulers getting above themselves or injustice on a personal scale or injustice on a global scale. We need to know there is a God who's going to sort this out. And so much of the pain and the the sadness that we see in the world around us at the moment, I think some of that comes from the fact that, that people don't believe there's a God who can sort this out. They think this is it. It's just us, and we've got to sort this out, and it's all on us, and therefore we must go around kind of judging everybody around us because there's no God to do that. But no, there is a God who is completely fair and just and right and faithful and loving. He's going to judge so we can trust him. Rejoice. So, what do we sing? A new song. Why? A great God, and that takes us finally from what and why to who. Who's in view here then in this command? The whole world. You know, in, in all of these Psalms, 93 to 99, about how God is king, there is this sense that at the center there's a vision of God's people singing God's praises in the temple. That's at the center of the picture that the, the Psalms paint. But that singing isn't just meant to be done in a soundproof chamber for the benefit of those in the room. It's for all the earth. Can you see that in the psalm? How how the the nations are are, are drawn in. You know, they've got to sing too, he's saying. Let let them hear your singing so that they come and join in. Verse 1. All the earth. Verse 3. Declare his glory among the nations. So that verse 8, can you see that they come into his courts? That's the temple courts. So that the world around is drawn into the worship of God's people. And then, then, and then we go beyond the nations to, to creation itself. So, so verses 10 to 13, we, we hear about the, the, the heavens and the sea, and then verse 12, the, the, the fields and the trees. And we might think, well, hang on, what, what's that about? But those verses that we saw at the start in the introduction, they remind us that this is no surprise because singing is built into creation. It's part of what it's for, to proclaim God's glory. You know, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The whole of creation was created to proclaim God's glory back to him. That's what it's for. It's meant to be like a mirror. It's meant to make us just go, wow, as we look around us in the world, wow, isn't God amazing? At what he's made, how glorious he is. And that then includes all the nations of the world. They're meant to do that too. That is what all of us are here for. One thing you might miss, you know, when you come to church and you sit in a regular seat, you're kind of facing this way, aren't you, most of the time. And therefore you can't always see that it's quite, it happens quite regularly, particularly if it's nice weather, 
people come to the back. They come to the glass doors because they hear there's something going on in here. They hear, maybe they hear some singing. Or they just see there's, there's, a kind of, there's something going on. So they come and see what it is and they come and watch. And sometimes that's all they do and they go away again. Sometimes they then open the door and come in. And uh, particularly, again, if we've got all the doors open and it's nice weather, they just come in and they sit at the back for a few minutes during the service. And then maybe they go away again. Sometimes they, they, they come and they, they, they come in through the doors and then you hear and, you, and they stay for the whole thing and they speak afterwards. You speak to them afterwards and you find out, oh, I was just walking past and I wondered what was going on. And I've come in and I've stayed and maybe I'll come back next week. Now, that is just a picture of the kind of thing the psalm is talking about here. So it's not, it isn't just literally, you know, make sure your services draw in other people. But it's saying, let that be a metaphor. Let that be a picture for what the whole of our lives of worship are meant to be about. Live a life of worship that draws others to want to worship with you. The American pastor John Piper wrote a big book about world mission quite a few years ago. Uh, called Let, Let the Nations Be Glad. But the central message is this. central message is mission exists because worship doesn't. Mission exists because worship doesn't. So what he's saying is the goal of mission is to draw the nations and the whole world into worshipping God. That is exactly what we see here in this psalm. So what's the goal with the, the non-Christian friend that you're praying for? You know, is it just that, oh, please, God, please would you bless their situation at work because they're struggling? Or, or please would they come to realize that there's a God? Or, you know, even just please would they sort of trust in Jesus? Well, it, you know, all of those, none of those things are a terrible thing to pray at all. But the goal, the end point is, Lord, would they too join in worshipping you as they were created to? Through Jesus who died that they might turn back to, to God and live as they were created to live, because that is what God's creation is for, to live in worship of God. But sin means we don't worship God. So mission exists because worship doesn't, because we need to call people to come back to God and worship him. And so whether we're talking worship in the, the narrow, specific sense of singing together on a Sunday and kind of how we do our services and how we do it so that it isn't just a soundproof room, but that people are drawn in and that, you know, we can welcome people into our midst who are not yet trusting in Jesus for themselves and they can watch and see what's going on and they can think, yeah, you know, I want to be part of this and they are drawn in. You know, that is certainly part of what this is talking about. But it's beyond that too, into the sense that singing is just the tip of the iceberg of a whole life of worship that makes people look at us, not just in our activities on a Sunday, but in our lives at work and our lives with our neighbours and they look at us and they think, you live differently, you do things differently, I want to know why you're doing that, I want to know what's driving you in your life to make the decisions that you make, to live in the way that you do. Please, please help me to see. They're being drawn in, do you see? As we sing a new song, as we sing in our lives of what Jesus has done for us, they want to come and join in too. You know, so often we feel like we're intruding on people when we seek to point them to Jesus, you know, as if we're doing something out of place. 
You know, it's as if we've turned up at a cricket match and we're trying to play football. You know, we've got the football out. Like, you know, let's just try and let's play football on this cricket pitch. And, uh, you, know, you know, we feel like, well, you know, I feel a bit guilty about this because really the world can quite justifiably ask me to go away because this is a cricket pitch and I'm trying to play football. Stop spoiling the game. But the, the, this psalm and the rest of the Bible tell us it's the other way around. You see, the, the cricket pitch has been taken over by football hooligans, as it were. And we are calling the world back to what its original purpose is. Stop misusing the world, we're saying. Stop misusing creation. Stop living for ourselves. Live for the God who made us. That is what this world is for. That is what the lives of our friends and our neighbours and our families and our colleagues, it's what they're for. They're for the worship of God. It's what our lives are for. All of creation is centred on the worship of the God who made us. Now, now that Jesus has come, worship has been taken out of the temple and it's now Jesus is the temple and we worship God through him. And so it's not then just about what we do in a building as it was more for, for Old Testament people. It was about what they did in the temple. It's not a one-to-one -one correspondence for us. It doesn't translate into what we do at church. It translates into what we do with our whole lives as we live for Jesus. We sing a new song. What is the soundtrack then of our lives? What would people hear from our lips? What would they think? What is the song that they think is driving us as we live our lives today? Is it the same song that the world around us is singing? Or is it the song about Jesus and what he's done that is driving us, that we're living for? Let's pray then as we reflect on that for ourselves now. Father God, we want to heed this instruction, sing to the Lord a new song. Father, as we remember what you've made us for, what you've made the whole of creation for, who you've made us to be, may we be people who live not just for ourselves, but for you. May our whole lives be lives of worship. May we be singing the new song because we have a song of salvation to sing. I pray for any who are yet to, to trust in Jesus to start singing that new song in their lives. Would you enable them to do that? Would you enable them to see in the lives of Christians around them what, it, what that means, what it looks like? And may that be true for those of us who are seeking to sing that song. May that be obvious to the world around us so that we might then bring 
all the glory to Jesus and all the nations might worship you too. Amen.